All right. So when was the last time we talked? Was that in studio um, at the apartment senior year? It had to have been either the fall of 18 or spring of 19, which feels like a decade ago. But yeah, that's that's I'd say that's got to be it. Right. And where are you right now? I am in my girlfriend's apartment. My my roommate in Kansas City. I'm in Kansas City. My girlfriend lives in Kansas City. My roommate um, has a lot of, I guess, Zoom type calls for his work. So he is. So I go to my girlfriend's while she she works for Frito Lay. So she is out in the field wearing a mask and gloves. Um, so I, I usually do my phone calls and phone interviews here. Okay. Um, you know how I know that you were not on the TV or photo side of the Mizzou Journalism School? I can't imagine. <laughs> You're sitting in front of a window. That's like rule number one of backlighting is to not have the window behind you. So you need me to move here, right? <laughs> no, you're totally – I can see no, you totally move. fine. I'll I move just, and you can – I'll move and you can see the kitchen. That'll be much better for our. For our no, I'm for completely our, teasing with you, bro. Yeah, I just had to. I had to let. Up. I had to make sure you knew. I it's a it's a writing only website. That's wow. That's you, that's, that is that's, such a flex, bro. No, it's not. Dude, that is a flex I'm, and a half. That's amazing. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to feel like I'm working somehow. If I wear my company, that's a good um, start. Right? Sure. So what's uh. I guess we can get into it. It is Tuesday, 1030 here on the West Coast right now. Thanks for tuning into the Bo Templin Show. Coming on the show today, I have multiple-time guests returning all the way from Kansas City, but that's not his hometown. We're talking with Alabama Al, Alec Lewis, coming back on the show today. Alabama Al, how are we feeling today, champ? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's 1230 here. You know, it, it's interesting. It's the weather out here is probably how it looks out there. It's it's like 68 and sunny and perfect. And so I'm sitting here inside wishing I was outside. But there's not many places to go. Um, as you know, no, I've, I've got some stories to work on today trying to stay busy as everybody. Um, I hope everybody listening to this is well and their families are well it's a crazy time as everybody knows but get through it got to it is you know one of the things that i've been trying to do and you know it's it's hard you know some days i feel great some days i'm like super down about not being able to leave the house or whatever but considering you know my parents are healthy my sister's healthy like my brother's here he's healthy we don't have all that much to complain about. I'm still able to go on, you know, a walk outside and I live in San Diego, California. So I'm just like trying to keep some things in perspective and say like, you really don't have it all that bad right now. It's one of those things though, where like, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm really fortunate in those same situations. Like, yeah, my family is healthy and I am. And, and again, like the weather's great in Kansas city and it could be a lot worse uh, but like we're not humans aren't aren't made for um, kind of just sitting inside and being somewhat isolated. So as as much as yes, I'm thankful and fortunate 
it's just it's not a an ideal situation um and there are ups and downs for me just like i would like to thank everybody else because this is not like i mean just mentally i don't think we're really set out for this so um yeah it's interesting it's i don't know it's one of those things where you try to like find perspective and and um stay productive but it's not always going to work fluidly i don't think because it's just not normal no it's not so and we don't need to stick on quarantine the entire time you know i mean we'll no, we just don't. do what we can we're talking catching up i seriously haven't talked to you in what feels like a really long time i mean for both of us like when baseball season hits it's it we black out for for six months <laughs> like there's just nothing we can do you know you you are working like 12 hour days, sometimes five days a week. Like it's a crazy schedule during that season. So we haven't been able to talk for a while. So I'm glad we can catch up best movie that you've watched during quarantine. You know, I'm like the worst movie guy. I was on the radio a couple weeks ago or months ago. And they were like, they were like making fun of me in terms of my movie expertise. But I mean, I don't know. I've gotten to catch up. On, on on some baseball movies i would say like i I've, i watched um field of dreams and a couple others but i would say i would say probably field of dreams i i i, I haven't even done I, my big thing has been I'm, i've been reading a ton which isn't gonna make everybody um it's not gonna <laughs> but i mean as a writer i should probably read shouldn't i and and um so that's that's been the goal so i'm, I'm giving you field of dreams and that'll be my answer um, I caught a little bit of heat on Twitter a few weeks ago because it said to uh, retweet this with one, uh, with like an overrated sports movie. And it didn't say a bad sports movie. It didn't say post a movie from sports that you <laughs> didn't like. It said post a movie that you think is slightly overrated. And so I put Field of Dreams and uh, Rudy next to each other. And they're not bad. I'm not saying they're bad. Just in the laurels of sports movies, they're regarded in this almost godly like, like sentiment. No, that like they're fine movies. They're completely fine. Just for me <laughs> and our generation, I think about like Sandlot and Remember the Titans in way higher regard than I do about well, Remember the Field Dreams remember and Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans as I'm cutting you off. It's probably. I mean, that's that's got to be like. I think the favorite for most people. I, I, I Field of Dreams was was good, but I, I think like I, I'm with you on that. There's some some of these stories like are so predictable in their arcs that it's almost as like it's not as um I don't know, maybe as enjoyable or kind of I remember the Titans was great. I mean I watched like Parasite during this quarantine. So I mean, but it that's it was an interesting movie. I, I wasn't I, I it it was fascinating in terms of like how much it made me think, but I don't, I like, I, it, I mean, I enjoy watching like a sports movie more than that, which I'm probably taking a lot of heat for, but that's just like my life. So I don't know. That's not a problem at all. By the way, I just completely noticed this. Um, my water cup today is a Harpo's cup all the way out in San Diego. And then my coffee mug <laughs> is a Mizzou Tigers coffee mug. I miss, so I'm I representing miss both of those. Today. I miss both of those things. I do. Dude, right now especially. First. Okay, so best movie you've watched during quarantine. We'll we'll go with Fields of Dreams. Um 
Something that I've been following you on Twitter, and I've been really curious about this, and, and you seem to have the access to get the videos and whatnot. How have players been staying fit for training during this quarantine? Because I've seen players um, go back to Latin America. I've seen players just get essentially like a ranch out in the middle of the country. Um, I've seen players working out in gyms inside their homes. What it, what's kind of something that stood out to you in regards to players trying to stay fit throughout all this? Well, my favorite was the Joe Kelly throwing the change up into his into his house's window. That was amazing. Um, I don't know. The Royals have an interesting setup because, like, there are a lot of guys down in Texas who work out at the same facility. So they're all – the facility's been open. One of the owners of it is, is their friends, um, some, one of their friends. Um, so a lot of them have been down there working in Texas, which is pretty normal. I mean, they, they obviously have not been able to go to gyms. But from a baseball perspective, like the batting cages are open. There are mounds and stuff. There are other guys that, like – I mean, I know Bobby Witt is home, who's, who's a top prospect. There are other other guys in all sorts of places. I mean, the, the most fascinating thing is the guys, like, rehabbing in Arizona. I mean, there's a guy, uh, the Royals Rule 5 pick, Stephen Woods Jr., uh, is from New York and from Long Island, and which has obviously been a hub of this whole thing. And he hurt his ankle in spring training and has had to stay down in, in Arizona. So he hasn't been able to be with his family and he's trying to rehab his ankle and he wants to make the team, but there's all this stuff going on in, in New York. It's like, it's just, it's crazy. And yeah, then you have some of those guys who are throwing in a garage. Uh, I mean, I know some Royals like pitchers have just been thrown to a net in their garage. I just can't even imagine what it's like, but I don't know. You make do. And, and it's, that's a challenge. That's, I mean, global in terms of baseball so and at least i think like one of the things that players can find solace in right now is that it's not discriminating against a certain team right now right like every team is battling with this so you know you assume that if by june 1st teams are in training camp together who knows the timeline and i'm not going to make you guess but <laughs> whatever the timeline is every team's going to come back it's going to be an even playing field Right, like one, you know, the Royals are not going to be better suited off more than the Padres. Maybe teams like the Mets and the Yankees, because New York is in such a shitty situation right now. Like, maybe they're extended a little bit longer. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong. Are the when the MLB put out that preliminary uh, talk or plan for having teams stay in Florida and Arizona? Were the Royals in Florida or Arizona? Arizona, their facility is in Arizona. So I think I mean, there have been so many plans. I mean, I know Jeff Passan at ESPN and Ken Rosenthal with us at The Athletic have reported a little bit on the Arizona-only plan. And then I saw yesterday CBS reported that there was one where it could be Florida, Texas, and Arizona. It's – I mean, you, you mentioned like the even playing field. The hardest part, I think, for everybody, specifically players, is – not is that uncertainty of like you don't even have a start date you're working toward. I mean, everything in life, like you you have a goal that you're working, you're like pushing. And these guys are like so regimented to not have that date that they're pushing towards, I think is like a crazy challenge. And I think some of the competitors within them is probably going to prepare other guys more than, than others. 
if this thing happens soon or, or not. I mean, I, it, it's, it's fascinating. That, that to me, like we talked to Hunter Dozier as a, as a Kansas City media. He's the Royals. Um, he's now in the outfield, played third base last year, hit 20-plus home runs. And he's like the uncertainty of like not knowing where you're pushing towards and how to ramp it up. And that's – it's like a golden goose. Like it's like I don't know how to master that. And, and it's impossible. Well, and if they were to go balls to the walls right now, right, say, all right, maybe the, the, the league comes back in three weeks. We have to start ramping it up quickly. Well, if you do that now and it ends up being two months until we start playing, then it feels like you're on, you're on a hamster wheel working towards nothing, right? Like that's how you get caught up in that really, really uh, vicious cycle mentally is like if you were to hop back right now, Go really hard thinking, all right, three weeks. And that's not the case. That would almost be infuri- that would be heartbreaking. I mean, that would crush you. I almost think it's like if a normal person is like just messing with their sleep cycle. It's like, okay, so tonight I'm going to go to sleep at 3 a.m. and wake up at 10. And then the next night you're going to go to sleep at 7 p.m. and wake up at like 5 a.m. It's like your your body would be like, what is going on? And these are competitive athletes who have been – I mean, Hunter Dozier for the last eight years has prepared for spring training, gone through spring training, gone into the season, finished the season, spent time with family. It's like, how do you feasibly do it? I, I don't, I don't know, and I, I don't know if anybody really could possibly know. So it's, it's a fascinating thing. Unfortunately, it's a thing we have to think about, but it, it is fascinating. Um, I guess. Let's let's rewind the clock, okay, to pre-quarantine, pre-social distancing, all that. Alec Lewis, you're, you're gearing up for your second season in the MLB, essentially, right? Writing for the Athletic and the Kansas City Royals. What is something that you are really excited to show um, your readers, your viewers this year that you weren't going to have last year? Because I, I think about, like, you know, players, they, they go into the offseason and they work on a new skill. And every year they talk about, oh, uh, Austin Hedges, he re- he changed his swing again this year. This is the year he's going to hit above 225. So as a writer, what's a skill or what's a story that you were excited about showing to your readers this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean – Story specific, I was working on a really big thing on on Mike Matheny, the Rose new manager, and kind of his path. And, I mean, the story is – it's in my Google Docs file. It's like 4,000 words. It's sitting there, and we we have it, and it's it's, – I mean, it was probably 15 phone calls, certain people. And, and so, I don't know. I mean, I think, like, from a broad standpoint, the phone call thing and, and reporting through phone calls, I mean, I think people don't realize when you're – I think, hopefully, you're, our goal in this thing is that you report and talk to people and get their stories of certain things they were doing so you can put people in, that, in their shoes in that place. And doing that through phone conversations is like, I think a skill that can be learned. Like you talked to, where were you this? What did you do here? Walk me through this day. Take me through that conversation. And over the, this off season, I felt like I really improved in terms of like being able to grasp from a, a, a an interviewee where they were in a certain spot and why they were doing certain things to, to enhance a story. 
And so I think I was really excited going into my, like this, this would be my first full covering major league baseball season to like report by just observing things <clears throat> and enhance it by some of the phone call stuff. So that was like my, my big thing I was really excited about. I was just really excited after you're at home sick for six months, seven months, whatever it was, it felt like a million months reporting and doing stories through phone calls. I was just excited to talk to people and be in front of baseball and watch certain body language things happen. And spring training was amazing. Like I was out on the backfields in Arizona, just watching for hours and getting sunburnt on my face. And people were like, Alec, why are you still out here? It's like, cause I just miss like just being out and watching people. That's just, how I am. And so I was really excited. And I also think the Royals were really um, excited for the season. So it was, it was an interesting thing. Obviously expectations for the Royals where, where they are. Um, they're coming off back to back a hundred lost seasons. They're not like the Padres that have like rebuilt, retooled everything. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it, it was interesting. I mean, I was really excited just to kind of improve. That's like the daily thing. You know how I am. It's just like, I, that's, just what I, it's what I love to do. It's my girlfriend knows. I'm like, she's like, why are you acting this way today? I'm like, I'm just missing my passion. That's when you, when you're, when your passion is kind of, when you're, I guess, kind of not exposed to it. It's a difficult thing. Um. So I'm curious after your first couple months in the season, who's a player that you formed like a really strong relationship with that you were excited to kind of go along another year journey with that person? Yeah, I mean, there are certain guys that you're much closer to than others. I think some of the older players um, have the reporters that they've been around, and you're also this young kid. So they don't, I mean, I guess propelling their trust is not the easiest thing, some of the older guys. But I mean, a lot, I mean, there are some, some like Ryan O'Hearn, who's a, who's a Royals left handed first baseman, um, is a guy who's had a lot of struggles over two, three years. He's not a guy that a lot of people would know. But he, I mean, I think he led all of spring training in home runs, his spring training, but he, I think he hit like five or six home runs. Really young guy, really fiery guy, passionate guy. I've gotten to know pretty well. Um, I mean, I think another guy, Adalberto Mondesi, obviously comes from the Dominican Republic, so his English is really, really good. Um, but he's a guy I've gotten to know a good bit. And, like, I really enjoy watching his enthusiasm every day. And then a lot of the young prospects. I mean, the Royals have a stable of pitching prospects that I've gotten to know a good bit and their families. And they're all really good dudes. And um, so just watching and, and being able to talk about pitching and life and stuff with those guys, it's, it's something I don't take for granted because not every writer or, or media personality can be in front of these people every day. Fortunately, the athletic – allows us to do that and that's not just a plug like that's just genuinely that that's our model and um so i i um i'm gonna i, I miss i miss just being around being around professional athletes they're fascinating people but they're also just human beings like we are they have life and they have family and they have things they care about outside of baseball which i think is my job to kind of bring readers and fans to that um, so we, br you briefly mentioned it before, I think we started recording, but how many radio appearances have you been doing? You know, I, I obviously I get the, the lucky exclusive rights to Alabama Al, but I'm curious, like how are other teams cities calling? Cause I know something I was really looking forward to was 
when the Royals were going to play the Padres at some point down the line, whenever that was going to happen, I was really excited to bring to the radio station and say, oh, you know, I know the writer for The Athletic for the Royals. Like, if we want to get him on the show today, more than willing, I'll reach out to him. How often are you doing those radio appearances? Not that often. Um, I mean, during spring training, I guess I would do one or two a week with just local Kansas City stations. Um, the One of the big ones here, 810 Sports Radio, is, is a locally owned station. Um, they've had a foothold here for a long, long time. So I've, I've gone on the radio with them at certain times and gone in studio. But I mean, we, I don't know, it's funny, like commenters at The Athletic, we want a Royals podcast. And I'm like, look, I'm willing to do it. But The Athletic is regimented certain podcasts at certain times. And this whole thing probably throws a wrench in everything. So we'll see. But I, um, I, 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 I haven't done, I'd probably do one or so a week uh, now, obviously. With the NFL draft, like it's Chiefs everything here. And that's been kind of the theme over the past year with the Chiefs, obviously. It, the Chiefs have dominated this town, um, which is okay because in 2014 and 15 and 16, the Royals dominated this town. So it's it's an interesting uh, dynamic, but probably one or one or two a week. I love doing it, though. I, I, I don't know. People, my, uh, people probably get annoyed in my voice, but it's all right. Okay. So during, during your beat last year, um, what's the best meal – at Kauffman Stadium's media press, like the press room, like what's the best meal that you can get? Say, you know what, I can. I, that's my go-to. I can always rely on that. Well, the Kauffman Stadium is an interesting. Like, you get you get to kind of when you're there every day, you get to kind of know the people who are working in around the media room. So, like sometimes they know. The two things I would say: the first day I remember I went to Kauffman Stadium, the the guy who like tickets you for lunch, his name's Dick. He's been there a long time and he said he said to me the first day he's like best salad bar in Kansas City man it's like kind of a joke I use but I mean they literally have everything in the salad bar you could ever want there's like like pico de gallo there's like olive I mean whatever you want so the salad is usually the go-to the other thing Coffin Stadium has is they have like they'll do these fruit cups with like strawberry blackberry blueberry and whipped cream on top and like that's when some of the women who work behind the counter and, and mid to like, they know every day. It's like, all right, Alex coming for the fruit cup, like probably 15 minutes before, before first pit. <laughs> that's just like, that's like a thing. And that's the fun part about being in there every day. The, the not fun part is like, you're sitting up there every day. There's nachos, there's hot dogs. And yes, people are like, Oh, that's so lucky. But like, when you're there every day eating that stuff, it's, it can be dangerous. I, I, I think they called it like the, freshman 15 of like of in covering the MLB your first year but I, I I try to do a good job I would take the stairs down to the press room and stuff I was trying to keep my uh my health in check so I don't know when I was uh you know you talked about how much Kansas City's been dominated by the Chiefs right and you know for the last year or so I was helping out at KOMU doing a lot of the sports broadcasting there so yeah, I'm very familiar, right? I had the Monday morning show. So every Monday, I'm doing the Chiefs game, essentially. And, you know, at times it was conflicting with the Royal stuff. So I would squeeze in a Jorge Soler home run about, you know, every show or whatnot because they would lose. But I would say, hey, Jorge Soler cranked in number 40 tonight. You know what I mean? Um, so I know what you're talking about when it comes to the Chiefs just dominating 
the market. Like that was just the story the whole year and it it drove ratings and and we were getting word from, you know, upper management that that's what they wanted to hear, right? That's what people wanted to hear about. So looking back on your rookie year, I'm call, I you're dude, I'm calling you that was your rookie year. What was your favorite story from rookie year? Oh my goodness, Bo. Um man, there's some that just like stand out pretty immediately. I mean, I did a I'll give you a couple, but I I did one on on Whit Merrifield making his first All-Star game and kind of his road to that. I mean, the guy is like the most intent like I'm looking this is going to be crazy and some people have have like dogged me on this, but like the Michael Jordan thing behind you there's like a competitiveness to some of these guys that is just palpable in a way that for others it's not. And Whit Merrifield is one of the most competitive, if not the um, most competitive athlete like I've ever been around. I mean, like he is every swing, every pitch, it is like a hundred percent dialed in as competitive as possible. So that story, that story stood out. I mean, I did, I remember like I did some on, on, as you mentioned, Solaire on his breakout and talked to kind of his private hitting coach who the Royals have since hired Mike Tozar. Um, it was just really cool. I think like the quote that he used that's well, I'll always remember is like the hitting coach told Solaire, like you have to turn yourself into a lion at the plate. And Solaire obviously goes out and leads the American league in home runs. It was a, a really cool thing. I mean, I, when he hit his um, Royals record breaking home run, uh, most home runs a Royal has ever hit. I did a story where I went out to like the fountains and, and the guy who like was tasked with a fishing net to fish the balls out of the fountains um, when he hits the ball in the fountain. So that was funny. I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting a story. I mean, I did a story on um, a guy named Jesse Hahn. He might've pitched for the Padres. I don't even know. He might, I, I don't know if he did or not, but Jesse had this like, not Tommy John. If he did, I'm going to get roasted for it and not recognizing <laughs> it. So it's all right. It'll he, uh, be, I'll, I'll take all the heat if he did. Don't worry about it. Tommy John surgery does like a re, uh, it's like a full reconstruction of the elbow. And, and Han was one of the first major leaguers to have this like repair of the Tommy, jo- of the owner collateral ligament UCL, which was a fascinating story. And I got to talk to surgeon. So, that, I mean, I could keep going, but, um, it's interesting. You asked, like, what was I most excited for? I mean, I think the reason I love being on the beat is, like, you get to know these guys. You get to know what they like. And that's every, everywhere from players to manager to front office. And the more you know them, the more you feel like you can dig in on certain parts that maybe early on you just couldn't because of your relationship. And so that's um, that's something I was really looking forward to. The more you, you, you're around these guys, the more you um, – feel comfort I think just digging into things that you wouldn't have otherwise so I'm scrolling through your Twitter timeline kind of prepping for this podcast or whatever I saw you went to Arthur Bryant's barbecue was and that was this year I think was that your first time there that was my first time at Arthur Bryant's I can't remember when that was um eight years ago I think no I think it was back in January (laughs) feels like it uh back in January yeah that's like the classic okay joke so where does yeah. where does uh, Arthur Bryant's now rank among the KC grub that you've gotten to try now over the last year? Because, dude, the moment you talk about KC, everyone wants to know about the barbecue. 
it's funny because I'm like I'm like trying not to like silo any barbecue place. Like I don't want to put this guy this barbecue place on my bed. I mean, I would say my favorite barbecue thing to get is probably the the um, the Z Man at Joe's Barbecue. It's an onion ring with melted cheese and brisket. And I do it on Texas toast and probably my body does not thank me for that. But then they also have the best fries like I've ever had, I think at Joe's and they do that sandwich with burnt ends that I haven't tried and people will crush me for that. But I would say it's like Jack stack is a little higher and they're all different. Q39 is really good. They have a burnt end burger. So they do a burger with like burnt ends uh, brisket on top of the burger with slaw it's like ridiculous oh and then my arthur god Bryant, arthur bryant's is more of like just your classic you go through the line it's been there forever the meat like you feel like you're eating the meat that's been on the smoker that's been there for 50 years because it probably has um okay so, I, so question I, when it comes to barbecue and this is i don't think there's a right answer here okay so this is a matter of preference would you rather have average barbecue sauce but elite bread or elite barbecue sauce in average bread it depends like some barbecue sauce oh alec why are you so politically correct i want an answer <laughs> i would say probably average barbecue sauce with elite bread that i mean i think i i can do with like average barbecue sauce i'm, I'm tip like you can give me a barbecue some barbecue sauce i don't like if it's like too vinegary I'm, i don't love it if it's too like smoky if like i don't i don't i love like average good barbecue like I, I i don't know so i think i would say that the good bread that's why i get the texas toast on the z-man it's like how could you pass up two pieces of texas toast on this with this with <laughs> a, an onion ring brisket and cheese like the greatest thing of all time i i went there I think at the beginning of the – no, it was it was before the quarantine because I've sat in the restaurant by myself with the Z-Man. My girlfriend's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm, I'm, you're not going to eat barbecue, so I'm going, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to eat it and sit there and relish every bite that I'm about to take. So I'd say average sauce and bread. Good answer. Good, Good answer. Um, did you watch The Last Dance? Of course. Yeah, I watched, two, I watched it back-to-back -back with my AirPods in on full blast, nothing around me. I was engulfed in this thing. All right. So this is something that was brought up to me and I was kind of curious about this because I feel like me, Luke Domask, right. We're kind of the exceptions to the rule when it comes to, uh, basketball history, specifically the bulls, like growing up, I went out of my way to do my homework, watch full length, Michael Jordan bulls games on NBA hardwood classics. So how much of this documentary is new to you? Most of it. Most of it. I, I don't know. It's funny. I told um, one of our good friends, Andrew Zolden, before I um, – before this thing and, – and, and like a lot of our good buddies, I told I, – I was like, I'm so excited for this because I don't, I don't know that much of it. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. I just – I never dug into it like I should have. Probably. I never read Halbert Sam's book. I never – Re went and rewatched some of this stuff. So a lot of it is new for me, and that's why, like, I love it. I mean, it's like it's it's unbelievable. I also, you know, how it is. Like, I love to see how they're telling the story. Like, they go forward and backward, and that stuff fascinates me. I mean, yeah, one just being a being a movie fan 
on its like just looking at it from a completely theatrical perspective i am entertained by the the back and forth style of storytelling but then the other thing is like coming from the mizzou j school right and knowing documentary journalism students and and kids who this is what they kind of want to end up doing i'm also fascinated by that i i think about uh the interview that they have with michael when was it recorded 2018 19 um you know you hear the story that he greenlit the project on the day of the Cavs championship parade. I don't know how much of that is like true slash propaganda from clutch sports type stuff, but I am fascinated as to like, when do you approach players to do stuff like about their career in retrospect? How, in what manner, in what tone do you have these conversations? You know, the first thing that they kicked it off with was Michael Jordan, your rookie year. They called the Bulls the traveling cocaine circus. And so I think, you know, Michael doesn't want to divulge that kind of information. So in terms of interviewing alone and looking at those skills, I think it was really interesting. Um, what stood out to you more during the documentary? The Scottie Pippen contract or the hatred of Jerry Krause? I mean, I think the hatred of Jerry Krause. I mean, they were re relentless on this guy. And like I understand because there's so the, one of the greatest things about this whole thing is the ego at play, right? Like these guys are the greatest at what they do, and they and they have egos, and they should. I mean, and they that's why they're great, I think. Um, but it's so fascinating to me that Jerry Krause like thinks he should be like praised for being a part of this, and and I like. I think it's understandable. I think the most fascinating, this guy was a former White Sox baseball scout, and then he ends up being a baseball scout after this whole thing. And and I, I tweeted about it the other night, but I went back and, and read like a, a Woj story from when he was at Yahoo and wrote about Jerry Krause before he passed away. It's like an amazing, amazing story. I mean, he drafted Scotty, who I didn't even know. I mean, you mentioned the contract story. I didn't even know he was a manager at Central. I didn't, I did not know that. And maybe that's embarrassing that I didn't know that. I didn't know his story. And then you see him like dunking in these high school gyms on or, or college. I guess they looked like high school gyms in college. Uh, but Jerry Krause went up and drafted him and they constructed this team. And, and they, I mean, I thought it was fascinating to hear Phil like, Scotty, you got to calm down. Like, Scotty, you, you can't like rail this guy this bad. And, and, and I think, um, I mean, that's the fascinating part of this documentary is you have these certain characters with certain arcs and how they got to be where they are and the certain egos that they have. And that's what makes this whole thing fascinating. I mean, you, you mentioned the way they set up this documentary and one of the best tools, I think throughout the entire thing that I haven't, I haven't said anything tweeted about it. I, I probably will at some point, but what they, they do this thing where they like give Jordan the iPad or the, or the iPhone of other people talking. And so it, it acts like they're all in the same room reminiscing on this same event and that's like a tactic that I mean I use a lot in terms of like we did a Zach Grinky oral history and it was like he told me this what do you remember about this he told me that do you have a story like that and it kind of gets people going but the tactic they use where you literally get to hear one of the guys talking about a certain event that you're a part of um like literally an amazing amazing tool so that's fascinating but yeah it I is the Jerry the Jerry Krause hate is is um, I'm I'm excited to see where it develops because I don't 
I don't really know how it all pans out again. And, and so I'm like watching this as it's like a story I've never heard before, which like, yeah, there are bits and pieces I know, but it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Well, and I, I look at this and you're absolutely spot on with that technique of handing him the phone or handing him the iPad because we've gotten some of the most genuine reaction shots throughout the entire two hours from those moments, right? It's the three seconds of even the sight of seeing Dennis Rodman makes Michael Jordan laugh, right? So the genuine first three seconds of his reaction, beautiful. The other thing that has stood out to me and, you know, I grew up watching a ton of Lakers basketball in Southern California. I knew Phil Jackson was um, an iconic legend, all-time great coach. I did not realize how good of an ego manager this guy really was. Like, he had a little bit of everything and he knew exactly how to manage it. Like, some of his reactions are perfect. They are genuinely perfect. He says, all right, like Dennis, you know, they've, they've been pr- promoting this next two episodes about Dennis Rodman. And they right. have a, the trailer has Dennis Rodman saying, I need a vacation. Middle of the season. No other coach knows how to handle that except Phil Jackson. And for me, that's the thing that has stood out. I mean, the comparison to Joe Madden, I think, somewhat fair, right? That very like zen-like approach, very pro 100%. player. And he was kind of able to be that barrier between player and front office. And I can see why Krause had the resentment for Phil Jackson because Phil probably made it seem like, all right, I'm getting word from upstairs. We got to do this. The players are like, yo, no, we need this. Phil then would go to Krause and say, you know what, we need this. That's a really tough job to do. And I have a, a newfound admiration and respect for Phil Jackson after watching the first two parts so far. Well, two things stood out from what you just said. 100% that's that's true. And I I said the Jerry Krause hate kind of sur- surprised me most. But I will say, like, I watched the thing and I'm like, how is Jerry Reinsdorf going to allow this thing to end? Like, how? How, with how much money they're making, how much passion there is, how much love in the city there is for Jordan. Like, how are you siding with with Jerry Krause over Michael Jordan? I mean, like, I get Jerry Krause constructed this roster, but, like, how can you feasibly not just, if Jordan likes Phil and Phil likes Jordan and they don't like Jerry Krause, just let it go. And, like, you, you they've tried to rebuild – and it just, it, it, I mean, they tried to rebuild after that. And it's just, it's, I mean, obviously it's never the same. It's not impossible for it to be the same. The other thing I would say is I had a buddy the other night. I can't remember who it was. Like, can you believe how lucky Phil Jackson was to get Jordan and Pippen and Kobe and Shaq? But it's not, I almost like life doesn't work like that. If you, if, if you are as good at managing egos, as you say, think about the egos he managed with Kobe and Shaq only so so few people have a touch to where you can do that and make that work. And so, yeah, the Phil Jackson, just the way he, he acts, he, like you see him wearing those sweatsuits in the middle of the circle. You see the way Jordan looks at him. It's like this guy is is different. It's just how it is. I think even when Scotty wanted to take the summer off, right, he talked about how after the Achilles injury or the foot injury – you know, he could have gotten surgery right away, but he said, you know, I'm not going to ruin my summer. This is my off time. Like, I'm going to enjoy it. 
so many coaches would be nervous or pressuring Scotty to return because they would feel then the pressure falls on them, right? If Scotty doesn't return, our team doesn't play as well, then it's my ass on the line. Phil, understanding the importance of Scotty to the team, saying, you know what, even if Scotty returns by the end of December, we're going to be okay. I Like, his his foresight and his ability to to kind of, like, dismiss present problems for long-term solutions is as impressive as I've seen amongst, like, any coach. The thing I will say, too, that I think a lot of sports fans sometimes like don't realize is, is, is like, Oh, does the coach do that much? Does the manager in baseball do that much managing the personalities of a locker room and a clubhouse, I think is like one of their biggest, if not their biggest job. And it cannot be easy. These guys have been the best at their level, every single level they've been from when they were in youth, from when likely from when they were in college, from when they got in the pro bowl in baseball specifically, and so when you're managing that, I mean, how, like how? How do you compartmentalize, okay, this guy deserves to get time off in the middle of a season. How do you compartmentalize this guy? You know what? He, this is a way for him to get back at management. I, 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 like to be as just calm and as you said, zen-like, which does make you think of Joe Madden. It was an amazing comparison. Like that's – it's something that um, – I, I don't know if that's taught. I don't know if that's just you, you feel people. You're like socially – conscious in a way that other people aren't I don't know but it's really really interesting and I also yeah, think that what that zen like approach is it when it's when you're winning it's great right no problems at all people are happy man look how relaxed and fun they're having but you look what happened with Joe Madden the moment they start losing well people don't like that zen like approach anymore all of a sudden they're like no no you got to get on their ass that Joe Madden, or I don't know how I turn this into a Joe Madden thing right now, but when they start losing, it's really easy to criticize that style. But when they're winning, it's all you know rainbows and dancing. Um, you got to have a little bit of patience, I think, to see that they see a completely different side of the teams that the fans get to see on TV on the field, right? And now we're getting this exclusive inside look into the locker room. Well, now you understand why Phil is so hands-off in his approach and and is so willing to listen and uh, able to, like, compromise in a lot of these debates that he has with his players. Um, Alec Lewis, I'm going to slowly wrap it up because we both got to get moving a little bit. <laughs> One, thank you for coming on, buddy. I always appreciate these conversations. Great deal. We could deal. do this. We could do. We could do this for hours. You know that too. Like I'm looking out the window. I could probably be sitting here in two hours, and we'll just. I mean, I don't know how we got to Joe Madden, but it's amazing. It's amazing. And it did. It did happen like, naturally. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And it's also like a different generation thing. I think when when you think about like the way an athlete viewed a coach back then, I think it's a little bit different than now in terms of like. I think players, I mean, obviously are willing to take their careers and their brands in their own hands now in a way that maybe they just weren't as willing or, or, or the powers that be weren't as didn't lay it out as much, but um, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I appreciate uh, Alabama. Al, the last question I got for you here. Um, and we're, we're going to wrap it up when this is all over your bronze bomber 
Deontay Wilder is going to get another shot at, at the king, the Gypsy King Tyson Fury. So I want to know, after what you saw in the second fight, does he have a shot? Yeah, as long as he doesn't wear the heavy pre-fight outfit, he's fine. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, it's it's a funny thing watching that fight. It was like, gosh, this is brutal. But it also was like, you know what? I kind of felt like at some point this could happen, where it's just he's just overmatched from a boxing standpoint. And and it's funny because boxing is a sport. I don't know nearly as well as you, and I'll act like I know it because it's like the Kentucky Derby. It's like you, the horses are racing. You're like, oh, I heard that that jockey works with that, and it's like you don't really know, Alec. Like, why would you act? But um, I mean, I don't know. I think Deontay Wilder is a guy who um, his his story arc is is such an is a, kind of a fascinating thing. Just where how he got into boxing, where where he comes from, his family dynamic, and I think he will be really motivated. But I don't, I mean, Tyson Fury, dude, that guy is so big and athletic and, and like just weird in terms of how he boxes. And, and so I don't, it, it'd be, I'd be, it, it's hard for me to think that Deontay Wilder have a shot. But as you know, Bo, one punch with that dude and it's, and you never know. Um, I'm not, I, I, I took him in the rematch. So in the second fight, you know, I, I went on the radio station and they asked me, you know, what do you think? And I said, Tyson Fury is like undeniably the better boxer. He's the better fighter. But with Deontay Wilder's right hand, there's just nothing you can do to avoid it sometimes. Um, and from what we've seen so far, Tyson Fury's approach that was successful, you have to go at Deontay Wilder and make him fight going backwards. The moment he can like plant his feet right and find a stance that's when you're in trouble. But what Fury did essentially said, no, let's get into it. Let's get physical. Let's tie up and I'm going to go at you. And that's a different approach. And not many guys are able to do that. I think the size is a big part of it. Like the moment they got tied up, Fury would lean, lean and on put him. <laughs> all that weight on him, bro. And it, yeah. he talked about the 40 pound costume being an issue. I think the 40 pound difference between him and Fury was the bigger issue. Cause the moment they, they would tie up and get in that clinch. Fury would ab just put his weight on Wilder, and Wilder had to carry that weight for the extra four or five rounds. It's like wisdom teeth. One comes in and leans on another tooth, and you're like, okay, we got to get that out because it's putting too much pressure, and it's going to ruin your whole mouth. Uh, yeah, you like that? But that's how Fury, Fury – <laughs> That's how Fury was, dude. He would, like, lean on Wilder, and I'm like, this is – like, there's no way. You can't have – the biggest man I've ever seen leaning on you and like, and stand up and try to punch. Like that's just not possible. I don't, I don't like physics. Don't say that Wilder would have a chance if a guy's leaning on him. It was that big like that. So I don't know, man, but I do think, and I will say this, I love boxing. I love reading about boxing. Um, it's, it's like one of the most pure, just, like human on human storylines are amazing. And as the and storytelling me, the, can't be better than in, in a boxing right. ring. And so I, I think the fact that they are rematching for Wilder's sake, I don't know about it, but I will say like, it's cool. I, I big boxing fights. I, I mean, as much as like people could argue maybe the inhumane nature of it. And you know, that's more of the politically correct type. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, I think I love the sport. I mean, it's fascinating to me to just watch it play out. And so I, think the more big fights big personalities you can get together 
is just better for, for a sports fan. And just talking about it, not having watched sports beyond the last dance, I'm like, <laughs> people, my, people are sick of me. But I'm like, dude, I just want sports. I know there are a lot of things going on in this world, and I, I feel for a lot, a lot of people. Um, sports are my more, passion, though, so I'm not going to. Now more uh, than ever, we need sports, honestly. Like, yeah. this is the time more than ever that we need it. Um, you know, I don't know when we're going to have fans in the stands. It could be a while. But right now, if you gave me even just games on the TV or games on the radio, I'd be I'd be a lot happier of a man. Um, Alec Lewis, thank you, you very much, buddy. Athletic. I'll give you games in the athletic. You can read about them. Um, thank you, Bill. <laughs> thank you for having Alec me. Alec Lewis, was... you, you can follow him on Twitter, Alec underscore Lewis. Uh, you can catch his work on the athletic. Subscribe to the athletic. It's Is it, what, $2.99 a month? Right now we got a 90 day free trial. So you can hop in and, and pick Woo! on my writing. You you can hop in and pick on my writing for 90 days and just hop out if you want. But I, I think I, I might we might be able to get you to hang around. So yeah, just hop in if you click a story and, and uh, you'll see a 90 day free trial thing. But it's I mean, if you like reading and you like sports, um, and you don't have that much to do, and I can't imagine you would, it's it, it's worthwhile. But no, I, I Seriously, Bo, it's fun to do this every time. We could, um, my, we're my sitting guy. here, <laughs> we're sitting here, and and we could do this for hours. But it's it's enjoyable every time. So I, I we really absolutely could. So hopefully, when this baseball season returns, maybe at like the halfway point, uh, during whatever their All Star break will be, maybe we can catch up. Um, because we're go- both going to be pretty swamped. Um, once the baseball season returns, but maybe halfway point, we can catch up and do this again, my guy. Yeah, we'll talk. Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. Just uh, just holler, <laughs> ho- holler when you're ready. Thank you, Bo. Perfect. All right. Take care, champ. We'll talk later.